Welcome to the Marietta First United Methodist Church Podcast. Marietta First is a community of disciples dedicated to living and serving faithfully our local community of Marietta, Georgia, and around the world. We are glad you're here. It is our prayer that this podcast offers you hope and grace on your own journey of faith. invite you to remain standing as you are able for the reading of our gospel, for the reading of our scripture, rather, which comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Uh, and I will be reading out of the Common English Bible for a few translation uh, options. Hear the words of Deuteronomy. Look here. Today I've set before you life and what's good versus death and what's wrong. If you obey the Lord your God's commandments that I'm commanding you right now by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments, his regulations, and his case laws, then you will live and thrive, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen and so are misled, worshiping other gods and serving them, I am telling you right now that you will definitely die. You will not prolong your life on the fertile land that you are crossing the Jordan River to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth as my witnesses against you right now. I have set life and death, blessing and curse before you. Now choose life so that your descendants will live by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by clinging to him. That's how you will survive and live long on the fertile land the Lord swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I... um, Honestly, I don't know why I'm up here. Uh, after Chris and the children, I don't think y'all need to hear from me at all. <laughs> I think that was enough gospel, enough sermon uh, for a whole week. Uh, but I'm here, so, so I might as well. Uh, <laughs> our scripture this morning was from the lectionary. I, I didn't pick it, and I think it actually works well at the end of our series, uh, just after our series of Wesley's Three Rules for Methodist Societies. Uh, The text comes at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, and it is a farewell sermon of sorts from Moses. Uh, The Hebrew people who have lived a nomadic life for a generation are poised to enter the promised land, a land of their own. Uh, And Moses knows here, as God knows, that to settle down on that fertile stretch of land comes with its own temptations. That once the people are landed and living comfortably some generations on, they might be tempted to forget the God who brought them there. They might be tempted even to begin to believe that they have attained their place through their own effort, through their own merit, through their own work. They might just forget who they are. Because here they are at the risk of falling asleep to God's call and sleepwalking through their lives. I think that's why there's a choice presented within the scripture and one that's presented in stark contrast 
It's very hyperbolic. I set before you life and death. So choose life. That seems like a (laughs) no-brainer. Given the choice of life and death, I think we all might choose life. Um, And there are surface-level readings of our scripture, which I think are equally unhelpful. So uh, to begin with, we'll address those. And I think the first reading is to focus on the curses and the death part as um, an assumption that Israel, and by extension us, are being threatened by God who wants to control us. And I don't think that's what's happening within the scripture. Hear me when I say that such a God who gains followers through threat of violence is not our God and is not ultimately a God worth following. And thanks be to God that that is not our God. That something else is happening here. The second surface reading might be to focus on the blessings and come away with a view uh, that a life of commitment to God is one blessed with health and prosperity and wellness. And this is clearly also not the case, as the scripture will also give us counter witnesses like Job and Lamentations and an entire third of the Psalms and the life of Christ, for that matter, to testify that the do good, uh, the good do in fact suffer, that the unscrupulous and predatory prosper with alarming regularity. And so what then is the choice that is set before us in the scripture? What is the choice between life and death, blessing and curses, if it is not so cut and dry as a cursory reading might suggest? And I would think that we can look back through Deuteronomy, through the prior 30 chapters, which are succinctly summed up in Deuteronomy 6 in a prayer Uh, and later by Christ himself, which says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. On these two things hang all the law and the prophets. So I think what's happening in the scripture, what's being placed before us, is not a hyperbolic choice of following God and being blessed or turning away and being struck down, but a choice about living a life that is truly worth living. Christ says later on in the Gospels in John that he came that we might have life and that we might live it to the fullest. And so the question is not flatly that we should choose life, but that we should choose a life which is worth living, that we should choose a life that is life-giving, that is life-affirming, not merely for ourselves, but that we should choose that which is life-giving for our families, our neighbors, our communities. And conversely, in the scripture, the thing which Moses claims leads to death is what he calls idolatry. And idolatry is a tricky thing for us modern Christians because we uh, very rarely do we have actual literal graven images that we uh, kneel down before. And even though we might recognize the call to worship God alone, our practices often suggest that we have split and divided loyalties. We make idols out of political ideologies. We chase after shiny new objects all the time. We spend hours of every day bowing down to our phones. The uh, screen usage 
notification that comes up on Sundays. I had to silence it because it was a little too convicting. But if your still comes up, you know what I mean. Uh, that average amount of time that we spend on our devices. Even within the church, we have this temptation. Right? We often act as if church buildings or particular theological uh, positions or keeping the right people in or out of church is more important than the worship of God alone. Regardless of whether we view the results of these practices as God's curses or just the natural um, consequence of bad decisions, their impact on us and our communities and our churches, our neighbors, is identifiable. Right? If we serve wealth rather than God, the poor among us suffer. If we serve consumption above God, our environments and communities suffer. If we succumb to this sort of idolatry, we get lulled into sleeping, and we sleepwalk through our lives, never aware of the beautiful life for which we were made. The service of God is the thing that guides our journey through this life, and to do otherwise is equivalent to a spiritual death. So what does choosing life look like? What does it mean to choose life and what is good? In my office, I have a, a wall of pictures uh, of saints. And sometimes some of them catch people's eye and they ask about them. And so I thought I'd share a few stories with you this morning that might illuminate a bit of what we're talking about. Um, so I have this first one here that I'll show you all. Uh, it is a, a Catholic saint. His name is Maximilian Kolbe, if you can see that. It frequently catches people's eyes because uh, there are sort of prominently two swastikas in the, the corners, and he is dressed in prison garb. Uh, Father Kolbe was martyred at Auschwitz, and so the image is striking for that reason. And people frequently ask me about him, so allow me to tell you a little bit about him. He was a Polish priest. Uh, and early on in his ministry, during the First World War, his father passed away, and he learned something of the brutality of war. And he went from there and was ordained and spent some time in Japan where he founded a uh, monastery in Nagasaki. And then during the outbreak of the Second World War, he was recalled back to Poland where he went back to his monastery there, uh, which in the early days of the war served as a field hospital uh, for injured in the fighting. After Germany captured Poland, uh, the monastery was allowed to continue as a house of worship and as a publishing house for Catholic devotional uh, documents under strict scrutiny of the SS. And what landed Father Kolbe and a few other of his brothers uh, in trouble was that the monastery also continued to operate as a sort of underground railroad for refugees, uh, Jews, gypsies, anyone who had gotten themselves uh, on a list of undesirables. And they helped thousands of people flee west to safety. They also clandestinely would print 
uh, anti-Nazi Catholic propaganda, or Catholic, um, anti-Nazi propaganda, Catholic newsletters. And so uh, towards the end of the war, the Germans shut down the monastery and Father Kolbe was sent to Auschwitz. And it was there that he uh, met his end. Uh, someone had escaped from the camp and the leader of the camp decided that they would choose 10 people at random to, uh, to put to death to keep other people from thinking that they could escape. And so they pulled all the prisoners out in the yard and they chose them at random uh, and Father Kolbe was there and the last one who was chosen began weeping openly, who will care for my children? Who will take care of my family? And so Father Kolbe volunteered to take his place instead. And according to eyewitness accounts, uh, over the next few days, he led the other nine inmates in constant prayer uh, until they all met their creator. He lived a life worth living, which is not to say that he lived an easy life. A life worth living often involves sacrifice. It is often difficult, but that's part of what we're invited to, to live a life worth living. Uh, another one of my, my friends, my saints here, uh, is Dorothy Day. I don't know if you can see this. This picture is her in this uh, straw hat with sunglasses on, kind of looking like a boss. Um, in the image that this is taken from, she's actually standing between two police officers who are arresting her for, uh, for supporting uh, some labor unions on strike. And uh, she was a journalist whose experience with the labor movement and her later uh, conversion to Catholicism led her to a devout belief in the sanctity of work and life. Um, she founded or helped found the Catholic Worker Movement and she was the uh, lead editor of their paper uh, through which she would cover strikes, she would cover working conditions, she would support uh, the rights of workers, particularly women and African-American workers. Uh, she advocated for child labor laws. Um, she often found herself on the wrong end of both society and the church, uh, one for her strict commitment to the rights and dignity of all people, and the other for her adherence to pacifism, uh, which ran counter to the Catholic Church's teaching on just war. And through her life and her witness and her ministry, uh, the Catholic worker movement grew, and these Catholic worker homes started propping up around the country, uh, and they were allowed to do contextual ministry wherever they were, so they would meet the needs of the community that they popped up in. So some would pop up in areas where uh, there was a lot of housing insecurity and they would house people. Uh, others would pop up in places where there just wasn't enough food to go around and they would feed people. To this day, there are still around 250 local Catholic worker houses which provide various services to people in need uh, because, in part, of Dorothy Day's faith and her faithfulness. She lived a life that was worth living. I have other, uh, other saints in my office. They don't fit up here, uh, but I would be remiss to not mention at least uh, Reverend Dr. King, whose commitment to justice, uh, his belief that injustice anywhere was a threat to justice anywhere, caused him to go down a path of ministry for which we are all 
grateful and have benefited. He lived a life that was worth living. But you don't have to be someone uh, whose status and, and life is, uh, is going to be worthy of artists putting your pictures uh, in, in artistic forms that uh, people who never knew you will have in their offices. Living a life that is worth living is something that people do all the time in small ways. So I want to tell you two more stories, and then I will, I'm wrapping up, I promise, um, about people whose pictures are not necessarily on my walls, but whose witness is on my heart. The first church that I served as a youth minister, I met a woman named Carolyn, and she may have been one of the most generous people I have ever met. Uh, I was in charge of youth and had some, some role responsibilities with children, and she uh, had sort of styled herself as the surrogate grandmother of the church. Uh, she had been widowed for some time and was passionate about uh, children and youth, who she called children, uh, knowing how deeply loved and valued they were. And so she would frequently take me out to lunch and ask how things were going with the children, uh, and I would frequently tell her. And any time I mentioned that we were worried about some sort of budget shortfall or there was anything that we were concerned about uh, that we would not be able to afford in the ministry, the next day there would be a check from an anonymous donor for the exact amount that we needed show up at the church office. Uh, I was commuting at that time to Candler from South Carolina, so driving three days a week to Atlanta from South Carolina, and there was frequently gas money that popped up in my uh, box at the church office. She never took credit for it, but I always knew where it came from. I also remember that one of the kids who was in the youth group had come from a particularly uh, tough living environment, living situation. Um, every week we had our Wednesday night youth group and uh, I was 21 and I broke safe sanctuary. I'm sorry, don't do this. Uh, but he needed a ride almost every week. And so I would give him a ride uh, home at first, I thought, but he gave me a different address almost every week. And I found that he was sort of hopping couches at, at friends' houses. And uh, at the end of that first summer, all the kids were starting to get a little bit excited about school starting back, except for this kid who viewed the upcoming school year with more and more trepidation. And in conversation with him, I found out that he uh, was living out of a suitcase. He had no school supplies to speak of. He had uh, everything that he had he could fit in his duffel bag. And so he had about a week's worth of clothes that he would wash and, and rewear. Um, and Miss Carolyn found out somehow. And the very next day, she took this young man out on a shopping trip and bought him everything that he needed for school. Uh, she bought him about half of a new wardrobe, um, anything that he would need to feel some sense of normalcy when school started, despite his, um, his other experiences. And this is just one story out of many, but she lived a life that was worth living. And my last saint was a friend of mine that I met at another church named Phil. And Phil was a, uh, a gardener. He loved gardening. Uh, I am not. I kill almost everything I've ever planted. Um, but Phil was a talented and skilled gardener. He, uh, I found this out because he was in a Bible study with me in the mornings for about two years. And he was a wealth of knowledge. I don't know if you have noticed this when you read the Bible, but there is a lot of agriculture in the Bible. There's a lot of planting and tending and, and caring for things and harvesting. Um, 
Christ often says that you know a tree by its fruit, but I buy my fruit at Kroger, so I did not really know what that meant. But Phil, through his experiences, would often illuminate scriptures for me in a way that I did not understand. He loved to garden, so much so that he uh, would often give away a lot of his produce uh, that he grew. One day I came into church and there was a bag of freshly harvested tomatoes on my, my desk and uh, I took them home. Iris loves tomatoes. Rachel and I used to call them her cheat code because we could get her to do anything we wanted as long as we would give her tomatoes after. And uh, we were going to make some salad, and, and I thought it'd be fun to get her involved in it. She was about two. And uh, so we set all the ingredients up, and I kind of got a chair and let her stand there. And I turned around to get some cheese out of the fridge, and by the time I turned back, she was halfway into the largest tomato with a bunch, just eating it like an apple, tomato juice everywhere. And I said, Iris, those were for dinner. And she looks at it, and she goes, mmm, dinner, and just keeps going. <laughs> And I told him that story, and for the rest of that summer, anytime he harvested tomatoes, I would show up at the office the next day with a brown paper bag full of tomatoes, and in Sharpie on the bag was always written, for Iris. <laughs> but he also opened my eyes to some other things. Uh, because of his passion for gardening and his involvement with some of our mission opportunities, uh, I learned from him that people who depend on food banks and food pantries rarely have access to fresh food, right? We do, we do canned food drives and they have a lot of that, but they don't have a whole lot of access to fresh things. And so he was passionate about donating a lot of the things that he grew. Uh, and he helped me develop a plan, uh, actually for one of my ordination projects, to create a community garden at the church. And he shepherded that plan with me and the rest of the team from a, a small two-plot uh, teaching garden for the preschool and for uh, donation efforts to what is now a 50-plot community garden at that church where for, I think, about 100 bucks a season, you can rent a plot, whether you're a church member or whether you're not, uh, and grow anything that you want. Um, and we also, through his witness, saved a number of those plots just to grow things to donate. At the time when we were building that, he uh, was diagnosed with ALS. And he progressed quickly. And though he was never able to lift a shovel or swing a hammer in the construction of that garden. Um, I was glad that he was able to see it completed uh, before he passed. And his fingerprints are all over that project because he lived a life that was worth living. I am so glad that this scripture comes right after we have finished our three rules. Because I think that those three rules are another simple way of understanding the choice that is set before us. In order to choose life for ourselves and for others, we must first commit to doing no harm. I do not love God or my neighbor when I am doing them harm. Second, in order to choose what is life-giving, we are obliged to do all the good we possibly can in whatever way we are able. And third, we must stay in love with God as the source of our life and goodness. So without a commitment to grow in knowledge and love of God, the source of our goodness and hope and mercy and love and grace, all of our other commitments lose their ability to give life and instead turn into things that wear us down and embitter us. And so friends, to love God with our whole selves, to treat others with love and life-giving care, 
to hear God's voice and follow God's guidance. This is the way to life. This is the way to a life worth living. There is today and every day a choice placed before us. Every day that we open our eyes, we have this invitation that you have gifts that the kingdom of God desperately needs. We have before us a choice of a life worth living and a life that is like death. Friends, let's not sleepwalk through our lives. Let us choose to live a life that is worth living. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Marietta First United Methodist Church Podcast. For more information about Marietta First United Methodist Church, we invite you to connect with us online at mariettafumc.org or on Facebook at Marietta FUMC.